Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and one of those controversial topics is baptism. And we are still in Systematic Theology 3, and we're going to talk, finally begin to do a relatively deep dive into that doctrine and practice of baptism. Uh, we will tell you up front that we will not satisfy anyone or everyone. <laughs> Hopefully we'll satisfy someone um, as we deal with the subject. But what we do hope is to prod, provoke a bit of a reaction from those who hold to a different view from ours. Now, you may recall that we have touched on this subject already in dealing with the issue of sacrament versus ordinance. But here we're actually going to begin to deal with baptism with a much greater detail and focus. Um now, you will find that we speak at times to the Roman Catholic position, but not to any great degree, uh, most likely, uh, because there's, even though that's subject to chat, I mean, I, I say we're not going to deal with the Roman Catholic position in any depth, but tomorrow I might wake up and say, yeah, maybe we will. Regardless, we're not going to deal probably with a, a Roman Catholic position because that's um, outside of the realm of what we would call evangelical thought. We will focus on baptism from a Baptist perspective and then also interact with some of the other primary views within Protestantism. So with that, today it's going to be a pretty short uh, podcast. We're going to introduce baptism. First of all, virtually all Christian churches practice this right, though some sects may not. Um, but very, very rare will you run into that. Now, there are. here's the current state of, of the modern views of the issue of baptism. Within the Roman Catholic Church, they argue that baptism literally removes original sin. So it brings the person now into a state of neutrality. No longer do they carry that sin. The Lutheran view, uh, by and large, is, views it as that baptism is a way God imparts faith. It's very important you understand that, that baptism is a way God imparts faith and grace and salvation. Uh, it's not that the baptism saves, but it's the vehicle through which God moves. And so this is done in conjunction with what they call the spoken and written word, and what they mean by that is the gospel. Uh, then there's the Presbyterian or Reformed view. Uh, that's big R for Reformed. Baptism is a sign that the child is of the elect or chosen of God. It's a sign of the covenant, just like the Old Testament Israelite males were circumcised, and therefore they carried the sign of the covenant with Moses. So um, it's not that they're guaranteed to be saved, but they will be treated as if they are the elect until proven otherwise. And then Church of Christ, uh, that group, they hold that baptism is actually required for salvation to be completed. So if you don't get baptized, you're never saved. And then the Baptist uh, perspective. It's a symbol of the cleansing of sin and a rising in new life in Christ. Yeah. Um, then you get to the different modes. That's, of, that, that was your transition? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
um, yeah. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm sick. Yeah. And if you hear strange noises, that's coming from him. <laughs> I, I'm I'm a victim of it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, what, that's what Levi does. I told him to do something. He'll go, uh-huh. <laughs> Levi, come here. Uh-huh. <laughs> Try yes, sir, buddy. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh -huh. No, say yes, Papa. Anyhow, why don't you share with them the various modes? <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, with uh, if, you, if you didn't know, we should just start over is what we should do. Um, okay, so there are different modes in baptism, if you didn't know, um, and depending on your tradition or background, it's, it's going to be different. But you have uh, sprinkling, uh, sometimes dipping, uh, the second one is a fusion, which is the technical term for basically a pouring. Uh, and then there is that full immersion uh, where you go completely under the water. And the mode of baptism should not, should not be a reason to question a person's salvation. Just looking at, oh, how were you baptized? Um, that should not now therefore determine if they're saved or unsaved. Yeah. You don't tell a Lutheran brother or sister in Christ. <laughs> so you were uh, sprinkled, huh? Yeah. Okay. So when are you going to come to Christ? <laughs> That's not a good way. Yeah. Uh, a person who has placed their hope and faith in Christ alone, that is a person who should be treated as a believer, regardless of that mode of baptism that they underwent. Uh, but what is important to think about is the mindset regarding the mode um, that may cause a question to arise with regard to a person's salvation. So uh, what we mean by that is, you know, do they think that baptism has saved them or that only a certain mode is sufficient for a true Christian? If, if that is true, then there might be a cause to probe a little bit more as to how they are understanding salvation to operate. Yeah, that cuts both ways too. Uh, I, I'm sure you've met those who were baptized by immersion, which we would affirm, but there is absolutely no evidence of their faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet they keep pointing back to the fact that they had been baptized. And that's like their claim. I had a guy, a guy point say, if you, if you doubt that, I can show you my certificate of baptism. I'm like, dude, that's nothing. But it's also interesting when you talk to people and they say, you know, so tell me when you were saved. And it was, well, when I was baptized as an infant. And the more you probe, you realize there's not a clarity in their mind that 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 they that they actually have actual personal faith in Christ. It's really I went through this right, and so yeah, you should probe that. Right, right. So that then leads us to the meaning of baptized. Uh, what does that even mean? Uh, it's the Greek word baptizo, and this comes from Freiburg's uh, lexicon. Yeah. He says uh, it, it means to strictly dip, immerse in water, uh, middle to, that would be the, the middle voice, to dip oneself, uh, to wash, uh, and in the New Testament, predominantly of the use of water in a religious and symbolic sense. And as recognized by all Greek lexicons, this comes from McCune Systematic Theology, uh, as recognized by all Greek lexicons, baptizo means to dip, submerge, or immerse. The Greek words for sprinkling, which would be rentizo and pouring, uh, epikeo, are never used for water. Which is baptism. interesting because in all the debate of modes, there's actually Greek words for these other modes, and they're never used. Right. I think I told, told you I had a professor, um, Schnabel, 
Uh, yeah, yeah. And he wrote literally several thousand pages on uh, the background research um, behind the concept of baptizo. And after thousands of pages, his conclusion was, it means to immerse. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a, a, a scholar. <laughs> yeah, it was very, very funny. That's awesome. Uh-huh. Is that a, did you publish that? I believe so. I don't have that. I've got a lot of books on baptism. Yeah. I'll have to get that. Let me see if I can find it. Um, uh, even, even when the term is used for washing, so for example, in Luke chapter 11, verse 38, the method would be to fully engulf the hands with water, either by dipping them into the laver or pouring water over them. And the idea was to represent a full cleansing. Yeah, so it's not like you're sprinkling a little bit of water on there. It's you're dipping your hands, fully immersing submerged. your hands yeah. into that laver. It's not laver, it's laver. Huh. I'm sick, leave me alone. <laughs> um, we've <laughs> talked about this. Um, so it, it is fascinating to read how the mode is is dismissed in a general way. Most positions that hold to the idea of sprinkling or pouring or dipping admit that the normal use was to immerse. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I've read way more on this subject than I really care to, but they all admit, yeah. And, and in fact, um, well, go ahead. Yeah, well, so for example, the Presbyterians would say that immersion is to be used when possible. That's interesting. It, it is... Immersion should be used when possible, but not required. However, the reality is that most Presbyterians are not immersed. Yeah. Because yeah. they practice paedo baptism. Um, Lutherans acknowledge the normal meaning also of baptizo as well, but again, uh, see it as inconsequential. They're not opposed to it, they just don't, they don't practice it. They argue that it's impossible to prove that immersion is the only way that is valid, uh, you know, effectively brushing aside that admission of them that baptizo means literally to immerse. So we're going to quote from the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod because we now know we have a, l a listener, Adam from Las from Vegas. From Las Vegas. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to actually use that rather than some of the other sources on this. Yeah, so they, they uh, state in their doctrine, 3,000 were baptized on Pentecost in Jerusalem where no river exists and no mention is made of other large quantities of water that would or may have been used. In fact, the shortage of water supplies in general in many parts of the ancient world would have precluded baptism by immersion. That, that's interesting. So you're developing a theology based on ancient geography. And silence. <laughs> so, so see, they didn't say they went to the baptismal. So I, I'm it like, is an argument from silence. Oh. Yeah. All right. So one early document that's called the Didache, that's how you say it, right? Uh, didache? Didache. Didache? Mm -hmm. It's an iota. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. It's not Latin, huh? No, it's Greek. Didache. Yeah, you're right. Teaching. Teaching. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> oh, look, that's actually a Greek word, yeah. Uh, it says this regarding baptism. Uh, it, it, but concerning baptism, thus shall you baptize, uh, having first taught all these things, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in living, meaning running, water. But if you have not living water, then baptize in other water. And if you are not able in, able in cold, then in warm, meaning warm water. I'd rather just it be warm, but... <laughs> But if you have neither, then pour water on the head thrice in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But before the baptism, let him who baptizes and him who is baptized fast and any others also who can. 
and you shall order him who is baptized to fast a day or two before. You, uh, quickly, it's interesting that they wanted running cold water uh, because it would represent purity. Yeah. It's not water that's standing still right. and therefore stagnant and filthy. Right. So you actually see an order there uh, a, a des of desire. Look, they understand the realistic issues that you you are in the Sahara Desert. Okay. It's like, all right, fine. But if at all possible, these are the things you're shooting for. So notice that the compromise regarding pouring versus baptize, in other words, immerse, is is if there is simply not a, enough water available. Um, not that that's the new norm. The, the Lutheran Church actually in an, a, another part of their documents was arguing, well, the didache says that you can poor. And it's like, yeah, but, <laughs> but what you conveniently left out was, if you can't do these other things, um, then poor. And there's not a place in America that you can't find enough water to do the actual baptism. Uh, the Didache, uh, Didache is a very important document in the sense that it was a, a, a bas basically a church manual for the early church, and they were trying to um, systematize just some of the basic things that would take place in church. So it's something right. everyone should read. It's a very simple read, mm -hmm. but it's helpful for you to appreciate what your brothers and sisters hundreds of years ago were doing. Uh, realize, though, that the exception that they bring up is that that is often quoted or referenced by non-immersers non is to explain why it is their practice. So that was very awkwardly said, but basically people like to grab a hold of the fact that they do admit that you can pour, but they don't give the context of why you have to pour. Uh, one thing a lot of people don't know, though, is that in Israel, especially in Jerusalem, there were these pools known as mikvahs. Uh, they were pools with steps going down. They still make them to, to this day. Uh, and so they were pools with steps going down into them where the religious Jew would go down into so they could ceremonially cleanse themselves so they could become ritually pure. Even after the temple's destruction, the synagogues continued this, even to the point of requiring them to be built first before the synagogue itself could even be built, because it was very important that they ceremonially cleanse themselves, and they would do it through immersion. And and though the Lutheran, that document you read, said, well, they didn't, there's no mention of any baptismals around, what they don't admit is that it was well known that there were many mikvahs, because they had to be uh, ceremonially cleanse, and they did it through immersion, and that's where they would have done the baptisms. And so a person, uh, according to Judaism, they had to be fully immersed before it would be acceptable. Uh, most interesting is that if a Gentile converted to Judaism, they were required to be fully immersed in a mikvah before being accepted. It was a symbol of fully, a wa fully washing away their former life and beliefs and entering into a life under the law of God. So you can understand where Peter then was able to say, repent and be baptized— and nobody's like, well, what's this baptism of which you speak? Yeah. And should I get a watering can so you can sprinkle? They're all, they all know what it meant to go be baptized because scattered all around that temple area would have been these mikvahs yep. that were designed for that very purpose. Well, and then why no one was shocked that John the Baptist, yeah, um, which was before Christ in the church, was baptizing people in the Jordan. 
uh, was being picked up on from this old uh, Judaic right. tradition. But but very much also the symbol of every Jew there would understand that if they're going to now be baptized in the name of Jesus, that just like them accepting a Gentile into Judaism, it's it's that you're renouncing your former way. They understand, wow, you're asking me to renounce my, my former uh, uh, allegiance to mm-hmm. Judaism, and it's to Christ alone. Had it, to do with identity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, also, baptism is part of the Great Commission. Uh, we know this, the, this moves baptism away from being merely for proselytes or rep- repentance for the kingdom of God and now moves them into in, into a soteriological realm as now it's part of becoming a, a disciple, which is an ongoing right, reality. Right. So baptism, as you know, is part of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, to make disciples of all nations. Uh, the we, We've talked about it so many times. The main verb is to make disciples. Right. How? By going, baptizing, teaching. Um so, so you cannot be a disciple of Christ without baptism, in other words, which makes this rite, R-I-T-E, key and foundational to the work of the church. Uh, it was practiced by the early church. Um, we have many passages here. Just um, all throughout the book of Acts. Yeah, uh, I won't list them all. Uh, in Acts 2, it is front and center in the call of repentance. And simply put, it's how the Jew... Uh, was was going to show or give evidence that they indeed repented of rejecting Jesus as the Messiah or the Christ. And this is why they were to be baptized in his name. It's simply them confessing that Jesus is who he said he was. And I remember when I preached on that passage, I talked about how radical uh, public baptism actually was because you're publicly identifying with this man but when you do that, that, of course, brings now some level of persecution. Yeah. So in our day, you know, our greatest fear is just having to stand up in front of our church and do some public speaking. But back then, you're identifying with one yep. that would actually fo- force the hand of persecution in many ways. Well, and, and you picture, because they're all pricked to the soul, uh, to the core of their being, right? And they're like, what must we do to be delivered from the judgment that's coming? Because we killed him, <laughs> and he didn't stay dead. And he says, repent and be baptized in, in his name. And now they didn't have a baptismal pool or a mikvah right there at his feet. And so after all of that, uh, then the only thing you can assume is that they then all in a, in a big crowd who wanted to be baptized had to go literally in a very public way through all of the other people there. And they were now standing there and confessing Jesus as Lord. So, yeah. And you can see that some people probably like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, And baptism is just a great way of separating. And I think, again, that's partly why I don't like, well, there's a lot of reasons I don't like pale baptism, but, you know, it's so um, neutral. It's just this little private ceremony. Uh, Mom and dad brings a little baby and um, it's all done right there. And and they're not the conscious act of the person being baptized who is saying, I want to make this public declaration. I, yeah. I, but we'll get into all that in other podcasts. Yeah. Uh, in Acts chapter 10, there was, there was a concern as to what, what do you do with Gentiles who now have claimed to believe? And the point was that there was no reason to withhold uh, baptism from them since they evidenced the blessing of God. Uh, and there, they evidenced it via the filling of the Holy Spirit. So this is a key passage to consider when you believe that pedo baptism is acceptable. 
it is obvious that the early church did not baptize a person until they could show evidence of valid faith. In other words, they would withhold baptism from people. Yeah, they, just they like, until it. you can show me that you have faith in Christ, you're not getting baptized. And Peter's whole point is they're struggling with baptizing these Gentiles because like, oh, they're Gentiles. <laughs> and he's like, look, they're doing the same thing that you guys did in Jerusalem. There's no reason to withhold them from baptism, but it was because they evidenced it, um, as mm -hmm. opposed to like Luther's understanding that says, well, when you bring the baby to the font and you proclaim the word of God, the gospel over them, and you baptize and baptize them, then God infuses faith into that child, and the child, the infant believes. It's like you got it backwards from mm -hmm. what even the model of the early church was. Yeah, yeah, you even see that with the Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah, right. He's reading Isaiah fifty-three, Philip makes it clear that this is in reference to this man named Jesus. He believes and then says, well, what prevents from being baptized in the water? Absolutely. So, but once faith was evidence, there was nothing that should keep a person from being baptized, right? So, but we will argue that the Pado baptist gets this whole thing backwards, uh, as you were saying, not from the scripture, but from theology that informs how passage must therefore be interpreted. And that's what we keep fighting, right? I mean, how many times have we heard a discussion on one point of theology or another with our big R reform brothers, and they say, well, you have to understand covenant theology first. It's like, no, uh, no, no. Covenant theology is not the key that unlocks now the secret meaning of the scripture. Um, it's same thing here. Right. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce makes this observation in his commentary on Acts, he says, the idea of an unbaptized Christian is simply not entertained in the New Testament. And we are convinced that to willfully, uh, and that's the key word that we would say, uh, that to willfully refuse baptism would result in the person being treated as a non-Christian. This is not one of those issues that we can just chalk up to being an issue of conscience. Uh, we would also require uh, baptism by immersion if a person wished to become a member of, of our church. Uh, we would not prevent that person from taking the Lord's Supper, who makes a reasonable confession of faith and was baptized as an infant, however. Um, but you got to be baptized. Yeah, yeah. So we don't practice closed communion, but we do have a closed membership in the sense. Yeah. All right, so we're going to just stop right there for the moment because before we start getting into some of the details. Uh, next time, we hope to actually address the relationship between water baptism and spirit baptism because we think that that is a key point that if you understand it, then some of the verses that are commonly used just no longer an issue. Uh, the reason is very simple. Um, a lot of confusion is on those two subjects. So they take passages that use the word baptism and they just assume it has to mean water baptism when in fact it shouldn't. So we hope that you'll look uh, for that podcast coming up and that might challenge you to simply look afresh at some things uh, or some well-known passages in the Bible. But until then, make sure to tune in join the conversation. If you have questions on this subject, drop us a note. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review on iTunes, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend. Music.